Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest this week is Michelle Singletary. She is the author of the new book, What to Do with Your Money When Crisis Hits. She is a financial expert. She is a uh, personal finance columnist for The Washington Post, uh, and, and she's going to tell us you know, how we need to manage our finances the next time the pande- uh, pandemic hits, the next time we are in a crisis mode. We are prepared that we have the cushion that we need. So she's going to talk us through some, uh, I don't want to say tough love, but she's got some tough love for us about how we need to be preparing, things we need to be cutting. Uh, she's very smart, and and we're going to be talking about how to survive the crisis. Of course, you can go to the show notes and buy the book, which is the best way to do it. But that's Michelle Singletary. That's coming up in a second. But first, a few words from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. This part of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast, is presented by Rocket Mortgage. Want to see your loan options, adjust payments, and closing costs online in real time? Rocket can. Once again, thank you to people that make this possible. We really appreciate it. Here we go with two quick pieces of intelligence, and then right into my interview with Michelle Singletary. There is a new clothing trend. It's called two-mile fashion. Research is telling us that people today want to be comfortable, but also look presentable when leaving the house. According to a survey of 4,000 consumers, when people stay within two miles of their home, they tend to wear sweats at leisure wear and carry just a few credit cards in their ID. If they travel further than two miles, they put on pants with a zipper instead of an elastic waistband, and they grab a handbag. The radius varies depending on whether people are in the suburbs or cities, but the habits stay the same. So clothing companies, they've doubled down on slippers with soles that can be worn outdoors, athleisure wear that looks like regular clothing, and cargo pants with wide pockets so people can shove everything in their pockets instead of carrying a bag just in case they go further than two miles from home. That's it. Two-mile fashion is basically what I wear all the time, but, you know, good good for everybody else. Uh, you guys want to cut your risk of cancer in half, eat more mushrooms. Researchers from Penn State Cancer Institute analyzed 45 years' worth of data on nearly 20,000 patients. Massive study. Here's what they found. Those who regularly ate one-quarter cup of mushrooms every day were 45% less likely to develop cancer, especially breast, cervical, and prostate cancer. Wow. Mushrooms. Public health science professor Dr. John Ritchie led the research, and he says mushrooms are such potent cancer fighters because they contain an antioxidant called, here we go, ergothionine. Ergothionine. It's a powerful anti-inflammatory that protects our cells against oxidative stress, and mushrooms contain more ergothionine than any other produce. And so you know, any type of mushroom will do, but you'll find the highest concentrations in shiitake, oyster, and king oyster mushrooms. And beyond the cancer prevention benefits of mushrooms, another study found over, uh, people over age 60 who ate mushrooms at least three times a week were half as likely to have cognitive impairment. Yet another ingredient in the recipe for the fountain of youth, mushrooms. I happen to love mushrooms. This is a win-win. It is a great meat alternative if you want that umami and you don't want to, you know what, you were trying to cut down on the meat in your diet. Mushrooms are a fan. You, you know, they take on the flavor of whatever's around them. Saute little onions. Now I'm getting hungry. Some mushrooms, you're good to go. Folks, here we go. There's two quick pieces of intelligence you can share, but most importantly, here is my interview with Michelle Singletary. Michelle Singletary, personal finance expert, personal finance columnist for the Washington Post, but most importantly, author of the new book, What to Do with Your Money When Crisis Hits, A Survival Guide. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're really excited to to get to dive into this topic. I think it's important, so thank you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, when we were just uh, talking a little bit before before we started, you know, 
there's one thing that has really been brought to bear by the last you know 18 months, and that is where we thought our financial security was, it isn't, right? The, 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 right. What's up is down, down is up. Uh, and is that, was that the impetus for you writing this book or were you already working on this book before all of a sudden the bottom fell out of, of half of our country's uh, personal finances? No, I, I was writing about it in my column for the Washington Post, but not in a sense of thinking about it as a book. Um, it just sort of came together uh, in the summer of the first year of the, the pandemic hit. And uh, clearly people were struggling. And really, there were two Americas. There was the America that millions of people lost their jobs and, and had to go through their savings or pull money off their retirement accounts. And there were people who were doing extremely well, not only were they able to save a lot of money because things were shut down, but their retirement portfolios was just going through the roof. Um, but then there were so many people who think, I can't pay for that roof over my head. What should I do? Who should I pay? Uh, someone's asking me to lend them money. Should I? Mm. Should I pull money out of my retirement account? And it's really those people that I wanted to talk to. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that you know, you, you bring up a great point. Like, you watch these. You I you look at how your money is growing if you have it in the stock market while a bunch of people are losing their jobs. You see all of the reports about you know the wealthiest individuals whose money is mostly tied up in in um, in securities and and ownership of companies, and you see that their 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 wealth grew more during the pandemic than uh, they could give a half of it away, and they would be just as rich as they were before the thing started. So you know you you see that kind of disparity where there's other people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And and you also see these companies where, you know, in in three months, all of a sudden they're they're completely out of money. And every personal finance personal finance experts telling us we should have like six months saved, uh, six months of expenses saved. And these companies that are supposed to be solvent don't even have that. Uh, it it begs a lot of questions. So what what could we have done differently as individuals, and how can we survive this time? Well, you know, the, the advice that I give people is the same no matter what's happening in good times and bad. It's actually harder for me to get people to save and do things when everything's going right because right. they think everything will always go right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so clearly leading up to the pandemic, and, and we're not talking about people who are just, you know, abject poverty and they just never made enough money. They weren't, they weren't really even living paycheck to paycheck. They were out after the first week of getting paid. Right. Um, so we're talking about people who maybe had the wherewithal. And what happened was the pandemic hit and all the bad decisions that they made, um, some through their own, some no fault of their own, came to bear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, carrying a lot of debt, um, eating out so often that they've got these bloated credit cards, um, you know, sending their kids to the wrong school that they can't afford, um, you know, too much house, too much mortgage. And when I say that, I mean, they're in the house, but they skated through there uh, and there's no cushion whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So they just can make the mortgage payment and not much else mm -hmm. so that they don't build that safety net for when there is a crisis. And the whole uh, point of this book is, hey, y'all, we're about to get through this crisis, but there's going to be another one behind it. Mm -hmm. We're not sure when, but rest assured, there will be another crisis. I mean, I, I think you 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 make a great point there, right? Like that this is really direct. There's there's sort of, uh, there's there's three kind of types of, of financial worlds that we live in, right? There's the world where your month-to-month -month expenses have no bearing on your net worth and your bottom line because you're 
so in such rarefied air that you're fine. There's the world where you where your month to month expenses are just unmeetable because of your because your income is low or your circumstances are are in that space and 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 that's just a it's really hard to kind of manage out of that. But then there's the world that most of us live in, which is we make certain choices and we can we we make enough money to make ends meet and then the question becomes how do we manage the fat how do we manage what's left over are we eating out too often like you said are we do we are we overspending on housing you know could we make a different choice and and that's kind of that's you know most most people in the developed world and it's also uh it's also the 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 people that you're really talking to am i correct that is correct. I mean, although the book does address people who uh, don't have enough and giving them advice on, okay, who do you pay when you've lost all your income? But you're right. The bulk of it is sort of addressed to people who have it within their wherewithal to make some changes, to make their life a little bit better when the next crisis hits. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, around springtime, you know, uh, parents and students are deciding where to go to college. And mm-hmm. maybe if you're fortunate, enough, you've gotten a couple of choices. You've gotten into a couple of colleges. Mm -hmm. And parents will say to the kids who've done what they were supposed to do, they did the work. Um, Baby, go wherever you want. We'll figure it out later. Well, no, you don't tell your child there. And you don't, (laughs) like, sign them up for decades of debt. And then you co-sign that with your own decades of debt to send them to that college. Um, And that decision can have an impact, not just on you, but that, that adult child when they finally graduate. Um, so when they do graduate, now the next thing that comes out is like, well, you need to get out on your own because otherwise you're not going to be responsible. Well, we say to a 30-year-old who may still be living at home trying to pay off their uh, credit card debt or their student loans that somehow mm-hmm. that means that they have been a failure. Right. Um, and I don't see it that way. I think as young adults, we ought to be encouraging more shared housing, more staying home as long as possible, even to when you get married and have kids. There's nothing wrong with that because many areas of our country, housing um, and expenses is just crushing. Crushing. And so why can't we share that? Why are we shoving out our young adults out there to get into rental apartments and all the expenses while they have student loan debt and they're trying to make their way and the beginnings of their adult life? Why can't they stay home if it's a, if they can? Why can't they live with auntie or grandparents? Or why can't they still have, you know, 10 roommates if that's what it takes? Right. Um, we'd have to change how we look at this knowing full well that we can't live a lot on um, the paychecks that they're going to be earning right. when they start out. I mean, look, there is there is some stuff baked in there, like this idea that the, that the system is kind of in a, in a painfully lopsided way right now, that the idea of being able to afford on your first job, you know, a, a one-bedroom apartment in, in these sort of cities where there's a lot of work uh, is, is beyond the means of a lot of people. Um, which, you know, which, which is kind of a sad state of affairs, but we can't change the system as individuals. All we can do is navigate the system as it is. And then you can, you know, vote or do whatever you need to do in order to try to change the system as you go. But, but for now, this is the system we live in. A lot of jobs just don't pay enough for, uh, for standard housing. if you also are carrying a load of debt on top of it. So that, that, that makes sense. It does. And, you know, it, when you talk about that track, basically you're talking about policy and personal responsibility. Right. And so you can do both. When, when in terms of policy, right now, um, more companies are opening up 
those workers who could be sent home to still work. Mm -hmm. And so now that many more people are vaccinated and we're kind of getting things back to going. So companies are saying, well, now you got to come back into the office. Why? We spent this last week doing amazing work. I know we did at my company and other companies. We found out that people actually would work if they were home, that they could get things done. Mm -hmm. And so now this edict that everybody has to come back into the office or you now have to go back to begging supervisors to let you work from home. It's just ridiculous. We show this pandemic showed that you could do your work. And so on the policy front, I think employees should push back on that. I can do what I do by not having that hour commute one way, both ways, or I can do what I can do so that when I get off, I can go get my child. So my child isn't sitting in daycare until it closes. So that's the policy on the personal responsibility front. It's right. Your company is not going to move. You got to go back. So now you got to think of some other things that you might have to do. So if that, if you got to stay at that high paying job in this high price city, okay, now you're going to probably maybe have shared housing or you maybe not going to eat out as much so that you can save for your retirement or save this in your kid to that more affordable college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it, it, I, I see your point. The, the other question I have is what, what do you do for people who, you know, what advice do you have for people who, who maybe don't have the family structure with the extra room that they can stay in uh, while they pay off their student debt? You know, what, what about what, what do we do about those people who are kind of on their own and are trying to prosper in a world where you have to live in the most expensive cities in order to, to, to move up as in a career? I think that you forge your own family dynamics, right? You find like-minded people that you can share the expenses with. Um, You know, a friend, if you're a single parent, you know, find another single parent and together maybe you can rent a a single family home or a townhouse or a bigger apartment so that you guys can cut those living expenses Mm. down so that you can manage. You know, you've got to be more creative, unfortunately, until the policy catches up to, to make it easier for you. So your family may not be your parents, but it could be another single family member or other co-workers or other young adults that you could team up with to rent a place. I mean, I try to attack the expenses that create the most pressure on your budget. So we often tell people, oh, just stop drinking that coffee. You'll be a millionaire. Right, it's like right, crazy. Right, 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 right. Like, I don't need like, that much like, avocado toast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. So let's look at the major parts of people's budget. That's housing, transportation, and debt. And so if we can get those major areas, so housing, stay home if you can, as long as you can. And parents, yeah, they're going to be there for a lot longer than you anticipated. And 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 suck it up and let them stay there. Um, and if you're a young adult, do that. Um, and, and stop all this peer pressure that, you know, you hear all the time, well, they had 30 years old living with their parents. If someone tells me that, the first thing I say to them, oh, you are so smart. Oh, you are so brilliant. Um, and, and then, you know, with transportation, you know, is, uh, it, you know, constantly upgrading to new cars. Keep your car for 10 or 15 years Mm -hmm. um, if you don't live in an area with good public transportation. And on the debt side, let's look at debt as what it is. It is a limiter of your ability to create wealth for yourself. Mm -hmm. So 
go into it, you should have a healthy hatred of debt. I do. I like to joke that if that was a person, I'd slap it. So <laughs> I don't want that person around me. And so I try through my entire life not to get in debt, you know, um, and those are the kinds of areas that is going to create wealth for you and free up that money to invest. Now, let me ask you this question. Uh, debt, there's, do you, do you, put debt into different categories like is there good debt and bad debt like is a mortgage good debt but but credit card payments are bad debt or should you be trying to limit your mortgage as much as possible as well I love that question. Now, let me turn the question on you. So when you, I, do you have a mortgage or do you have a car payment? Or I have a mortgage. I don't okay, have so a have car a payment. Okay, great. So when you go write that check or you have authorized it probably for a direct deposit, are you happy about that? Are you gleeful? Are you like, yes, I get to pay this bank more money than I borrowed? <laughs> uh, I mean, interest rates are so low. I don't really think about it as anything other than just... Uh... But you you're know, not gleeful. If you, if no, you I'm could, not gleeful. you wouldn't want it, right? Right. If I could, if I could have that money back every month, I would love to just have that money. Yes. Right. So that's not the definition of good then. That's necessary, but not good. Sure. So my point is there is no good or bad debt. There's just debt. And, and, and there are ways that you use it. So you don't want to be in credit card debt is higher interest, but you also want to make it so that you can get out of that mortgage as quickly as possible so that you don't have that debt on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine if you um, lost your job and you didn't have a mortgage payment because it was paid off. You could weather that storm a lot longer, mm -hmm. you know, if you didn't have that credit card debt. And so I don't put them in categories. I just see it for what it is. It is a weight that sometimes you pick up out of necessity. Most of us can't buy a home without um, a loan, but you want to put that weight down as soon as possible. Interesting. The other thing is, you know, for a long time, people have sort of said, buy as, you know, get into the market however you can when it comes to real estate, uh, because it, it goes up. And, and even if you overextend yourself for the first few years, it's not that big a deal. You get the taxes back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it seems like the crisis that has that has been looming and has been sort of made manifest recently uh, undermines that logic. Was that ever a logic that you espoused? It doesn't seem like it. A. Oh, no. Oh, no. It was ridiculous. It's always been ridiculous when people tell me that. Um, for, for a couple of reasons. So people say, you know, get in the market no matter what. Well, that no matter what means that you're struggling and that it's it works when everything works. But you lose your job. Your spouse loses your job. Your kid gets sick and you have to take off time. You know, your parents don't have money for their retirement. So now you've got to take care of them mm -hmm. and your own household. You know, the sandwich generation we talked about, you know, and this whole idea about the mortgage deduction, because that's what they're talking about. Oh, you know, the tax break. Well, most of America actually doesn't even get the mortgage tax break because you have to itemize. Well, most Americans take the standard deduction, especially so since the changes in the tax law in 2017. So it the, the standard deduction increase so even you know more people don't take that interest deduction mm -hmm. so it actually doesn't really pay and then let's talk about that mortgage interest deduction it's not a dollar for dollar it's not a credit it's a deduction so if you pay a thousand dollars I'm just going to use this low round figure, $1,000 in mortgage interest. You aren't getting back all of that $1,000. You're getting back commiserate to where you are 
in your tra- in your tax bracket, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're gonna pay a thousand dollars, but you're not gonna get baby back about three hundred or two hundred dollars. I'd right. rather not pay the thousand and pay two hundred dollars in taxes. Mm-hmm. I'm making out better if I pay taxes. So so the tax break is a bonus for more wealthy Americans, but it's not why you should get in the house. And then you know, in terms of the low interest rates, well, you know what? If the interest rate was zero, it still may not be the time for you to buy a house because if you can't handle that payment plus all the expenses that go with a homeowner, you're a homeowner. It's a money pit. It is. If you want to create, if you want to maintain that property so that you maintain and increase that value, you got to put money into your house. And most people who are barely getting into a house because someone told them they had to get a house, they can't upkeep it. When the furnace breaks, they have trouble. They got to borrow to fix the furnace. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to have the ability in your budget to maintain that house. And most and many, many people don't. And so I, I'm a big believer in home ownership. I've owned a home since I was a year out of college. However, I have never entered into the home with any debt. When I bought my first property, I had no debt. When I bought my second property with my husband, he didn't have debt. I didn't have debt. When we moved up to the next home, no debt. Um, and so that's kind of how I want you to have it. And, and if I just can just throw this in, this whole idea that you build wealth with your home, which can be true, not always true. We saw that with the Great Recession. However, if you build that equity, how do you, at, as an ongoing uh, sense, how do you tap that equity? Mm-hmm. Only two ways, right? You either sell or you right. borrow against it. So right. that means that you have to sell, which means you still got to find another place to live and or borrow against it, which means you're taking on more debt. Mm-hmm. So you don't actually get to realize that debt for, for a very long time. So going in those years where you're not tapping that money, you got to create wealth another way. And that way is not to buy too much house and use whatever actually you have to invest that money in something that will grow that won't cause you a lot of headache. Now, that's a that's an interesting question. You say something that will grow that won't. So I, I hear what you're saying. You want to keep that monthly expense as low as possible. Um, and you know, and by against the backdrop of of maximizing your quality of life, and you know, getting your kids into the best school possible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I I understand that, um, but there is this idea that a lot of people have where they're basically uh, they're basically goldfish, right? They grow to the size of their tank. So maybe they start off out of college, they're making thirty thirty five thousand dollars a year. They work their way up, and eventually they're making you know six figures. But as, as time goes on, they don't really. Uh, they don't they don't maintain their expenses they grow their expenses to whatever their sure. income is and they're always living paycheck to paycheck because right. they 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 really aren't managing you know the fat that we were talking about before uh you know how how do you manage that where you as your income grows that you don't allow your lifestyle to grow with it uh and then what do you think some of the best ways to deal with that with the extra money if you do have it so I, you're absolutely right that, you know, when you were, I know when I was in my twenties, I thought I was making a great deal of money until I got another job and making more. It's like, whoa. So you elevate your lifestyle and the way you don't continue to keep doing that is that you have a financial plan for yourself. Um, you have to live below your means. So, um, for example, one strategy that my husband and I practice is when we get raises, we don't like elevate our lifestyle to that raise. So we probably are living on our income from several years ago, several, mm. several, you know, um, uh, um, increases in our pay. And how do we do that? Because we obligate our money in other ways. I actually joke, I'm a pot person, but not that kind of pot. <laughs> <laughs> I like 
pots where I put my money in different pots. And so we have an emergency fund pot and we have what I call a life happens pot for the things in life that happen. Your car breaks down. If you got kids, they're going to break something in your house. So we draw from that pot instead of our emergency pot, which is a, we lose our job pot. Mm-hmm. And then we have our retirement pot. And then we have um, the the college pot for our children. All, all three of our children are in their early 20s, and we've been able to put them through college and graduate school with no debt because when they were little people, we started to save in their pot. So when you put your money in those different pots, you don't get to elevate your lifestyle. So when I get a raise, I don't, I can't do more with that because that money's already obligated for something that I know I'm going to need down the road. And so it's very important to do that so that you have that cushion. You have that ability to grow your wealth and you're not then pressured to do it quickly or in ways that could make you more um, susceptible to scams or mm-hmm. to predatory measures for that matter. Mm-hmm. This is particularly true uh, for, for people of color um, because they are targeted more uh, by enterprises that that know that they are anxious to make more money um, or, or they just maybe... Um, don't have as much, so they're trying to make it uh, last longer. Uh, and so I, you have a plan for yourself so that when you get that raise, it's like no big deal because you already know that's got to go towards retirement. That's got to go to mm-hmm. the kids' college fund. That has to go to build up if you have a home so that if you need a roof, you don't have to borrow to put that roof on your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I feel, is a strategy. You have to have a plan. It's like if you you live in your house, I'm sure you've got you know smoke detectors and fire extinguishers all mm-hmm. over the place. But And that's to protect you. You hope there will never be a fire. Right. But you have those there just in case. That's the equivalent of having all these pots. And then you don't have to be worried about um, the ability to weather the next crisis. So you're talking about putting these in, in you know, in, in pots, right? Uh, which I'm assuming you are, are, by that you mean accounts. Um, yes. You know, with interest rates as low as they have been for the last 30 years, really, Mm -hmm. uh, those accounts are not really growing the money. The money just kind of sits there and barely keeps up with inflation, if that. Well, the cash accounts, that is true. The emergency fund and life happens, those are in regular you know, low, super, really, it's almost zero now, mm-hmm. uh, accounts. But the other accounts are certainly growing. Retirement, the 529 plans, they're certainly growing. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to understand that your money has a purpose in those different pots. And your cash money, the emergency money, its job is not to grow. Its job is to be there when you need it to be there. Mm-hmm. And so you can't worry that that money isn't um, increasing because that's your emergency money. You do want to make sure that your retirement and the kids' college money is growing. It is invested in a way that will at least keep pace with inflation and even then some, especially when it comes to college. And so you have to segregate your money in different ways so that you don't have to worry. People always ask me, well, where did I put my money? It's not earning anything. I don't really care that it's not earning anything. I just needed to be there so that that year that my child became deathly ill and mm-hmm. was in the hospital for two months and both my husband and I through all of our sick leave that we could take off without pay to stay in the hospital with my child. I don't need that money to grow. I don't need to be risk, put that money at risk. I just mm-hmm. need to be there when my child got sick. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hear that. So what can you put your money into? So let's say you have this emergency fund and you funded that. 
Uh, one, what is a good barometer for how big those funds need to be before you start before you start putting the you know long term savings in, uh, away? So if you're carrying a lot of debt, those pots aren't going to be very big. I don't want you to have like $10,000 in emergency fund and you've got $8,000 in credit card debt. I'm going to need you to take that money and pay off that high interest credit card debt. Right. Um, And so in that sense, um, like, again, I'm just looking at how we do it. You know, we've got the emergency. That's just regular. Life happens just regular. In retirement, we have it in our 401k. And my husband works for the government, the TSP. We pick a portfolio that um, will help it grow over time and we dollar cost average meaning we put money every month no matter what the market is doing it goes goes roaring through then we have a non-retirement investment account and that's the account where we at some point we want to buy a car with cash which we do we buy our cars with cash or you know right now our house is about 16 years old so things are breaking and we got to mm-hmm. fix stuff that's where we pull that money because we knew that uh, long-term investing you want to not um if you have money that you need in like five years or less, you don't want to put it at risk, but we're not going to need a roof every year. Right. right so right. we put that money again, dollar cost averaging. And so for example, my husband, uh, we bought a car about two years ago. We dollar cost average cause we keep our cars for 10 or 15 years. And in that time, the money grew, we pulled it out to pay cash for his car. And now we may get another replace uh, uh, second car, which is, you know, almost 20 years old. Um, and we put in so much during the dollar cost averaging and the market went up that we have enough to pay cash for yet another car. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of how you look long term. Uh, and, and that's to me, that's how you um, invest safely for like middle America. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, and what sort of are you? It seems like you're saying, you know, even the accounts that you they are you're talking about are risky are generally seem to be market matching accounts. Like these are four hundred one k. You're not you're not buying individual securities. We're not you're yeah. not talking about uh, high leverage crypto or or anything like that. You're talking about some like really standard old school investments. Old school. I love old school. Old school is old and true. That's exactly right. We don't, I don't have any individual stocks. Listen, people, you know, who want to do that. Okay. But I, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to look at the, the particulars of a company and try to guess which ones I should put my money in. I like diversification. I like having a broad uh, array of stocks. So with a, a growth index fund or a fun, uh, index fund, a low cost index fund that invests in mid cap, like many, medium-sized companies, mm-hmm. uh, index fund, low-cost index fund that invest in up-and-coming companies, you know, some international exposure. I I have stocks. I just don't have individual stocks. Right. And if you, if you follow the broad index of the market, you're going to do as well as the market. And I'm okay with that. Am I trying to hit something out the park and find that stock that's going to return 30 or 50%? I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have the time to research to do that. I don't have the skill for it. And even the professional don't get it. I mean, right. and you kind of are you know? a professional. So the fact is, like, the fact that you're not living in that world when you're when personal finance is your brand, like that that te- that should tell right. us all something. That's right. That's right. I mean, I, I have to live a life. I don't want to sweat if one stock's going up and this whole craze with crypto uh, currency. You know, listen, that's speculative investing. Mm-hmm. I am not that part in my life. I don't have extra money like that to gamble. 
because that's what you're doing. Right. And and just like gambling, because I know the um, enthusiasts for this was like, oh, it's going to be the next thing and you're missing out. Uh, that may be true. But it's just like when I go to Las Vegas, I don't have to be at the crap table. I could just put my little 50 cent in a little time machine and walk off and be just happy mm -hmm. as a lamb mm -hmm. and go eat at some buffet or watch a show. So in a casino, there are big winners, right? right. But we know that the house always wins. And so they like to show us the big winners when the bells, I always wondered like when somebody wins big, the, you know, especially to lot machines, the bells and whistles go off. Like I wouldn't want to let anybody know that I won any money, but mm -hmm. they, they're not doing that for me. They're not doing that to congratulate me. They're trying to entice other people to play the slot machines knowing full well, they're not going to win. To me, that's cryptocurrency right now. There's no proven. We're not, it's not, well, it, it, uh, you can't use it every day. Everyday folks can't use it. Mm -hmm. It may in fact be something down the road and I'm okay with not uh, being a part of that because right now it's too speculative and I don't have extra money to waste on that yeah I mean I think I think there's a lot of there's a lot of built-up demand in terms of FOMO you know where people right. are afraid that they're gonna miss out because look if, if I had bought if I had bought just a few bits of Bitcoin when I first heard about it like 10 years ago uh, you know, I, I would, I would have tripled my retirement at this point. Um, right. but I, I mean, and then some, if I had just bought a few coins and not even, not even like real money, just put in some, you know, like spending money and cut my expenses for a couple of months and put it into Bitcoin, I would be probably a millionaire at this point. So there's a, there's a part of it where you look and you go, holy moly, if I had just done that, I would be fine. I don't want to miss the next version of that opportunity. But to your point, that's gambling. That's yeah. ju that's just gambling if it goes up like that. And, uh, you, and you've missed that. You missed the window. Some people are lucky and they understand and they, you know, maybe not even understand. They take the chance and they get the window. Mm -hmm. um, but right now you're buying at the high. You're, and, and those people who are pushing it, of course they're pushing it because they want somebody to come behind them mm -hmm. to make them that millionaire. Um, and, and it's just like with any investment, you just, you, you use the information you have at the time. Um, and I'm okay with consumer goods and technology and healthcare, all the regular things that we all use um and that that part of investing that speculative investing people who want to take a risk on that that's fine and there's nothing wrong with that it's just that that's not where i am i don't have that kind of money um and i would just rather be safe um than sorry right uh you know, the idea of FOMO, the idea of missing out on investments also brings up something that I think we're all going to be experiencing as things open up again. Uh, there's going to be a lot of FOMO. A lot of people who stayed at home for a very long time, who haven't been able to eat out, who haven't been able to spend money, uh, and who maybe, you know, maybe they didn't they didn't grow like, um, you know, like, like the billionaires of the world. They didn't quadruple their or double their, their net worth over this period of time, but they had a job the entire time and now they have all this disposable income that they've that they haven't been able to spend and and they want to go travel how do you manage quality of life uh you know while you're in your your healthiest years uh against long-term financial health <laughs> okay so i'm probably not gonna be popular about what i'm about to say but <laughs> <laughs> so i work with lots of individuals who are in just that situation they didn't lose their job in fact they were able to save um, quite a bit because they weren't out spending they canceled vacations and to every single one of those persons who had debt 
I told them to take that money and pay down their debt or increase their savings. So um, my advice is that if you got debt, credit card debt, car loan debt, mm-hmm. student loan, that you don't go begin to spend you don't get begin to spend because you can now. I need you to t- to be responsible. And that might mean that you're going to suffer a little bit, like you're not going to be able to enjoy it. And I know that there's some financial folks who will say, well, you sort of need to treat yourself because otherwise you blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't want that otherwise. I want you to suffer. I want you to know <laughs> what it's like not to do those things. Because if you do, then when it comes time you've paid that off, you are less likely to go back into debt because you remember being without, you remember that you couldn't take the vacations. You remember the things that you can't do. You can't do it all. And so, and if you made decisions right or wrong with maybe you didn't know any better, but nonetheless you made that decision and now you've got this debt or you don't have a cash cushion so that if you lost your job, you aren't put out of your place in a month or two, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to need you not to go back out there to spend. And because you have all this pent up, um, consumer um you know you just want demand that's correct right no i need you to still stay shut in and save your money (laughs) okay so (laughs) but at what point at what point though have we you know i understand that your point about discipline like discipline now means safety in the future I, i i i understand that correlation and i understand how you know, the more draconian, you, you want to be as draconian as you can possibly be while the times are good so that you, so that when the times are lean, you're covered. I absolutely can appreciate that. But at the same time, you know, there, you, you do want to manage quality of life. Like you don't need a new car every year, but some newer cars have better safety, uh, safety, uh, uh, features. Some newer cars have, you know, self-driving capabilities that, that will, that, that add, you know, add enjoyment and ease to your life. And how do you manage that, that, uh, that equilibrium? Is there like a number that you need to hit in terms of cushion so that you can feel comfortable without guilt, uh, take going out and eating out for date night or going out and, and, and going away for your anniversary or whatever those things may be. So all those things that you're talking about, when we talk about the car separately, it's basically you're giving into your sense of entitlement because you can do all those things without spending money. You can have a date night and not spend money. You can take a stay vacation and not spend all this money for flights and things to go to some resort in Cancun and Jamaica. Um, You have to be comfortable in who you are, that you can enjoy life without spending money that you do not have or that money needs to secure your future and the future of your children. You know, I, you can, you know, it is really hard to people to get this sort of concept, Mm. even the whole car thing, you know, as long as your car is safe, do you really need your car to drive itself? Do you really need your car to park itself? Yeah, those are cool things. But if you have a lot of debt and you haven't saved to send your kid to college or you're behind in your retirement, park your own darn car. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. Yeah, And it's like, you know, cool. Yeah, there are little gadgets on the side that let you know somebody is in a lane. Turn your head and look to see if somebody's <laughs> in your blind spot. You know, if you don't have those other things lined up, that's what I'm saying. Right. Now, if you've got your emergency fund, you got your life happens fund, you're saving on track for your retirement, your kids can go to college without any debt, and you have all those things in line. And for me, 
my husband and I tithe. So we spent a great deal of our budget giving back to charity. Mm-hmm. All those things are lined up that you can have a car that drives itself. You can have a robot that <laughs> runs your whole household. You can go to Cancun. I don't care. But if you don't have those other things, I do care. Because this is what's going to happen. That next crisis, you're going to lose your job. And then you may not be able to keep that roof over your head. Mm-hmm. Your kids may not be able to go to school. Your kid might get sick and you can't be in the hospital with them because you got to work because you had all that debt because you needed to go out on a date night or you needed a car that self-parked itself. Because you can't, We most of us are not multi-billionaires. We can't do it all. And so for me, enjoyment is knowing that I don't have all that pressure, that I can weather that storm just a little bit longer. That's 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 enjoyment to me. That's life to me. Mm-hmm. When you come from nothing, which I did, you know, I was raised by my grandmother. My parents abandoned me. Walking in the park and looking up the sky, I'm, I, I love it. I walk my dog and I look at the sky and I think what I came from, this is, this is heaven. Like I... I can sit and talk to my husband all night and we don't have to be at a restaurant. We don't have to be anywhere. I married a wonderful man and I did that on purpose as well, believe it or not. (laughs) I chose right. He chose right. We are comfortable just sitting, talking on our back porch. And we don't, if we didn't have the money, we wouldn't care if we went on a vacation or not. Right? Like Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't, guys, you can't do it all. And I, people say that to me all the time. Well, do you mean I can't have this? Yeah, I'm, that's what I'm saying. You can't have it. I, is it right? No, I would love for you to have everything that you want, but that's not reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and, and, and if you get rid of that sense of entitlement and then you be okay with where you are, like you, you, you chose a career that doesn't maybe make you six figure salaries, but that career makes you happy or that career serves the public you're a teacher you're a social worker you're doing i like to say god's work so that might mean that you can't take that cocoon vacation mm-hmm. but you got to be okay with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'm not going to co-sign you going into debt and creating other issues for yourself down the line i'm just not going to do it so you can enjoy life just where you are yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, you know, you bring up this idea of entitlement and I think there's a whole industry on Madison Avenue whose job it is, is to make you feel like you need all of those things in order to be happy. And what I'm hearing you say is uh, issue that uh, that that mindset and, st- and find things that make you happy that don't cost you money. Right. Yeah. If you don't have it. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, the book is What to Do With Your Money When Crisis Hits, A Survival Guide. Michelle Singletary is our guest. Uh, I'm going to ask you two last questions, Michelle. I know, I know okay. you're busy. you gotta, you got to get out of here. Uh, first question is, if people want to follow up with you, aside from buying the book, which there's a link to buy in the show notes, uh, how can people follow up with you? Well, you know, you can go to the Washington Post website. Uh, I write a column twice a week. I have a weekly newsletter about personal finance. And every once in a while, I have an online chat where I invite people to come in and ask me all kinds of questions, just like you did. Um, I have a website, michellesingletary.com. And, you know, definitely follow me on Twitter. I often answer people's questions on Twitter. I use it more um, that way than sort of, oh, this is where I went last night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, right. I like to engage with people um, on 
Twitter and I will answer your questions. So if you hear the show, you're like, what did you mean by that? Please tweet me and I'll get back to you. Link to Michelle's Twitter in the show notes, as well as a link to her Washington Post uh, column page. One last question. I ask it to everybody. What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? Oh, my gosh. I would say have a plan for your financial future. And I know that sounds really wonky, Mm. but I need you to just sit down for a moment because you probably work really hard for whatever money that you earn. And I want to be sure that you're using that money to to get the life that you want. And the only way that that can happen is if you just sit down and say, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do with my money. And I bet it's not to eat out at you know, the the coolest restaurant in town. It's probably, I want to retire when I'm 55 and just travel the world. Mm -hmm. Or I want to see my kid walk across the stage and not come off that stage with debt. Or my parents did so much for me and they weren't able to save in their jobs. I want to be able to take them into my home and create a space for them that they feel comfortable with. Or I want to give to somebody else. So have a plan for the money that you use that isn't just about you, but still brings joy to your life that doesn't con- is not connected to just material stuff. Makes sense. Well, thank you so much, Michelle Singletary. We really appreciate your time today and uh, giving us a lot to think about. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. Uh, if you want to follow up with us, facebook.com slash John Tesh. We spend a ton of time there. Or you can reach out to me. I'm Gib Girard. You find me at facebook.com slash Gib Girard or at Gib Girard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every mention about the show, every DM. Sometimes you guys have uh, advice for, for who, what topics you should cover, people we should have on. I've listened to you, brought them on. Uh, because ultimately, you know, I do this show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.